Good morning. Welcome to Southland. So honored and glad that you are here. Looking forward to what God's got for us this morning. I'll tell you this as we start the service this morning. This word, this message, I've been feeling it so strongly this week. And I believe God's going to speak to many of our hearts this morning. I'm excited to um, continue our series to, through the book of Genesis, studying the life of Joseph. I think all of us, really, when we come and we face life, I think we're all asking ourselves one question. Do I have what it takes? Do I have what it takes to be the parent that God's called me to be? Do I have what it takes to be the spouse that God has called me to be? Do I have what it takes to be the Christian that God wants me to be? And I think many of us are wrestling with that question. Do we have what it takes? Would you take your Bible to Genesis chapter number 37? And would you please stand as we read a few scriptures this morning as we dive into this message? I believe it's going to speak to hearts. I believe it's going to set people free this morning. I believe it's going to be encouragement. If you don't have your Bible, it'll be up on the screen. I want to begin reading in verse number 19 of Genesis chapter 37. The Bible says this, speaking about Joseph, he's coming, he's been sent by Jacob to go and catch up on where his brothers are at. And in verse number 19, the Bible says, they said one to another, here comes this dreamer. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. You ever felt like there's somebody that's just after your dreams? You've got a vision, you've got a calling, you've got something that's so strong in your life, and you're trying to live it out, but your best attempts just, just you feel like you don't have enough. Let's continue reading verse number 31, or verse 23. So when Joseph came to his brothers... They stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. Then they took Joseph's robe and slaughtered a goat and dipped the robe in the blood. And they sent the robe of many colors and brought it to their father and said, This we have found. Please identify whether it is your son's robe or not. And he identified and said, It is my son's robe. A fierce animal has devoured him. Joseph is without a doubt torn in pieces. Then Jacob tore his garments and put sackcloth on his loins and mourned for his son many days. All his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted and said, No, I shall go down to Sheol to my son in mourning. Thus his father wept for him. I'm fascinated this morning by how much attention the writer puts on a coat. I think we read this passage of scripture so many times, and it's almost like we just kind of miss some glaring detail. Not only does the writer pay a lot of attention to the coat, Joseph's brothers are fixated about his coat. And I think that represents for you and I a lot more because we all have a coat. We all have a coat. Your coat may be your career. Your coat may be your marriage. Your coat may be your children. Your coat may be your college degree. Your coat may be your girlfriend, your boyfriend. Your coat may be the church. But we all have a coat this morning. This morning, I want to bring a message entitled Coats and Calling. And let me pray as we begin. Dear Heavenly Father, we need you desperately. I pray this morning that you would speak a word to my brothers and my sisters in the faith, that you would speak to their hearts, that you would encourage them, that you would strengthen them. 
I believe that this morning many people will be helped by this passage of scripture. I don't believe it's going to be my words, but I do believe your Holy Spirit's going to speak and transform lives. Lord, we need you. We love you. And we pray all this in your powerful name. Amen. Thank you so much for standing on the way down. Would you touch your neighbor and say, nice coat, nice coat, nice coat. Touch your neighbor and say, nice coat. Thank you so much, Dougie. That was a wonderful job, worship leading. I think sometimes we don't understand how much the worship team goes through. I mean, I'm going to switch real quick. We're having some issues. How's that? A little bit better? We'll adjust with it a little bit. We got that, that weird humming noise. We don't want that too distracting. So uh, he said he felt terrible this morning, but he's like, I'm still going to show up. So this whole morning I've been praying. I'm like, all right, Lord, help him get through the music. Help him get through the music. And he just did a phenomenal job. Can we just uh, put our hands together and thank the worship leaders? They just did an amazing job. Just thank you. They are just, um, they work very hard. Really pleased with each and every one of them. We all have a coat. We all have coats that we wear. And coats, they, they define a lot about us. They say a lot about us. And uh, sometimes we use coats as a, as a means of covering, something that we use to uh, cover something up. And uh, some of you wore a coat. Today was such a beautiful day. Many of you didn't have to wear a coat. I brought some of the coats from my house. I have several coats that I had brought. And uh, we wear different coats. Some are more, um, they're functional. If it's cold, you want to be warm. If it's, um, you know, going to be cool out, you want something that's not too warm, not too, too uh, hot. So you, you want to find the right coat. Sometimes uh, you need that um, uh, to add that stylish piece of clothing. So you just need that right jacket. And it's really just to make kind of the outfit look good. And so you wear a coat that maybe adds some color to your life. Or maybe you're just trying to use a coat to cover up a stain that you got on your clothing. And you're saying, yes, that's That's my reason for wearing a coat this morning. I am covering something up. Well, in this case, Joseph's brothers, they take Joseph's coat, but even though they took Joseph's coat, the brothers kind of put on a different coat, don't they? They put on a different coat of covering. They're about to cover up their actions of what they've done. You see, they've just taken their little brother, they've thrown him into a pit, they were jealous by his position, they were jealous about what their father had given him, and so they took his coat, they ripped his coat, they dipped it in blood, they sent it by a servant back to their father, and then they had sold their brother into slavery. They don't even know where he went. They have no clue. They just sold him to the Ishmaelites, just kind of like good riddance, there goes our brother, and then they go to their father, and they have this story that they tell their father. They come to their father, and they all know, they all know what's happened to this coat, but they play dumb. Hey, father, is this Joseph's coat? Of course it's Joseph's coat. How many people just walk around the wilderness with a colorful coat like that? An expensive coat, a coat that has status, a coat that represents his connections. No, 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 that is definitely Joseph's coat. I've learned that everybody has a story, but it's often not the one they're telling. Everybody's got a story, but it's often not the one they're telling. 
you've probably seen some people on the side of the road that are panhandling or asking for a little bit of money. And you'll be amazed that sometimes you're very sympathetic and, and so you'll go to them and you'll kind of uh, want to help them and you, you give to them something. And then a few hours later, you see them walk over to a car and get in the car and drive away. And you're thinking, wait a minute, I just gave you some money to help. My wife and I, we had some neighbors when we first moved into our house and um, just kind of different, sweet people, nice people, but just kind of different neighbors. One day as we were pulling into the neighborhood on the corner leading into our neighborhood, uh, a little ways off to the main road off of Monterey Highway, we noticed somebody that looked very familiar holding up a sign that said homeless. And then as I passed by, I said, wait a minute, that's my neighbor. My neighbor who has a house next door to me is on the corner saying that he's homeless. And so in the mornings, I would go to work, and Bob would go to work with his sign. Have a good day, Bob. You know, work on that tan, you know. And it's amazing how so many people, they'll tell a story, but it's not a real story. It's not a true story. They're living a lie. We all have a story, but it's often not the one we're telling. And so the brothers, they're going to tell a story to their dad. Here's the thing we touched on last week. Think about it for a second. For 13 years, they're, never, they're not going to see Joseph for 13 years, 13 long years. Imagine all the family functions. Imagine all the birthdays, anniversaries, get-togethers, Christmas parties, Thanksgiving parties, all the times that they're going to be with, together with the family. And they've got to keep telling dad that same story because dad's still mourning. He, he said, I'm going to go to my grave with this heaviness, with this sadness in my heart. And so every time they go to a family function, they've got to stick to their story. They have to, in essence, live a lie. How many of you know that's a very hard thing to do, that living a lie just wears on you? Eventually, you just feel the weight and the guilt, and it seems like you were doing the right thing, but that weight and that guilt just kind of pushes you down deeper and deeper. So imagine every time they see their father, the lie that they've told their father. You see, we all have a coat. Some of us are using our coat to cover up a lie or to live a lie, to cover something. And here they're going to tell their father this story, and I think you and I, we want to be able to look back on our life, and we don't want to have to skip any part of our story. We don't want to have to say, hey, kids, mom and dad did this, but you know what? We're going to skip what we did through, you know, 18 to 24 while we were in college, or for some of you, 18 to 30 while you were in college, and it's okay, you know, you take a little bit longer, that's all right, but, you know, we were just skipping those years uh, because we just don't want to let you know the decisions we've made. We don't want to have to look back on our life and have to say, let's skip this chapter. But for the, these 11 brothers, they're going to have to kind of say, hey, do we tell this story? Do we skip over it? They have to live this story. But what's equally amazing to me, if we go back in the story of Jacob, the father who they lied to, the Bible says that they took Joseph's coat and they grabbed it, they tore it in pieces, and then they dipped it in goat's blood is what the Bible says. And that's interesting, that they took the coat, they dipped it in goat's blood, and then they sent it back to the father. You say, why is that interesting? Because you have to go back generations before. Jacob did something very similar. Let me take you on a little story behind the scenes here. Jacob overhears that, or Jacob's mother overhears that his father is going to bless Esau. Jacob's father's Isaac. And Jacob is going to, uh, basically, by the coercing of his mom, is going to pretend to be Esau. 
But do you remember what the Bible says they used to pull off the ruse? They took a kid. What was a kid? It was a young goat, a young lamb. And they took those skins and he wore those skins as a covering. It's amazing to me that the same scheme Jacob used on his dad, Jacob's sons are using on him. Reminds me of a New Testament scripture. Galatians 6, 7. Be not deceived. God is not mocked. For whatsoever a man soweth, that shall he also reap. He that soweth to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption. But he that sows to the spirit shall of the spirit reap life everlasting. Here's something I'd like for you to write down. Whatever I cover, God will uncover. But whatever I uncover, God will cover. Because we're only as sick as our secrets. And too often I meet people who are wearing these coats, they feel like they have to cover something up. And they're living a lie. And we can't live a better story if we're living a lie. So this morning, if you are using a coat to cover up some type of part of your story, to cover up something in the past, to cover up something you're not proud of, something you're apologetic over, this morning is the morning where God is saying it's time to come clean before him. This morning is the morning where you say, God, I've been running from you like Jonah ran from you, and I'm done with running, I'm done with hiding, I'm coming with my coat, and I'm taking my coat off. And so that's what these brothers don't do. No, they're going to keep wearing the coat. They're going to keep wearing this coat. Not only is a coat used for covering, a coat is also used to convey an idea. Sometimes we'll wear a coat because we want others to look at us a certain way. We want others to think more highly of us. And so we're going to wear this coat. That's why the brothers aren't going to tell the truth. What kind of story is that? Hey, how, how, how is you, what is your family like? Oh, we're dysfunctional. We threw our brother into a well. Then we sold him for 20 pieces of silver. And we don't know if he's dead or alive. And we couldn't really care less. They're going to use a coat to cover up their image because they want to project this image that we got it all together. And sometimes we can come into a church and we want to project this image and we want to project something that we're really not. This is why many of you, I've got to warn you about the dangers of Instagram and Facebook. It's not that you go on there. It's that you think that's reality. It's you don't understand that those pictures have been edited to perfection. That you don't understand that, guess what? There's Photoshop where you can kind of smooth out the wrinkles and you can kind of uh, trim the body a little bit and you can kind of make things look better and you can add things. And I just wish people would just kind of be a little bit more honest about their pictures because some of you, you're so entrenched in this world that everybody's life is so much better than yours. And it's because you don't understand that people not only use coats to cover up, but people also use coats to convey an image that they want you to see. But it's not reality. That was all free. That's all introduction. But let's dive into the scripture now that we kind of have a framework for what coats we're talking about this morning. And how we often use coats to cover up and how coats are used. You see, I want you to understand, a change in clothes doesn't mean a change in your character. And some of us, we think that. We think, well, a different coat just makes me a different person. And I'll wear something, I'll I'll, I'll, I'll wear a different coat today, and then the next day I'll put on another coat. And some of you, you're like, hey, I'll even wear a couple coats at once. You know, that's really cool. And you're just kind of thinking, all these coats, these are going to help you. And I'm here to tell you, just because you change your clothes doesn't change your character. It doesn't do anything for you. 
And you are, are going after one coat after another, chasing another boyfriend or another girlfriend, chasing another relationship, chasing another car, another job, another church, another situation. And you think the coat is going to change it. And I'm here to tell you, it's not about all the coats that you wear. You can have all kinds of coats. My house is filled with coats. Your house is filled with coats. Matter of fact, you've probably gone to the Goodwill recently to drop off a bunch of your coats and you still have closets filled with coats. And this morning, I feel like your life is filled with coats. And you just in front of whoever you're around. Oh, it's Friday night. I know what coat I'm going to wear. That's my party coat. That's my get wasted and do stuff that I don't care about coat. Oh, it's Sunday morning. Where's my suit coat? It's Sunday morning, suit coat, got to put this coat on, going to church, and we put on that coat. We put on whatever coat, oh, going to see my parents, all right, let's go find, uh, you know, where's a good coat, definitely need something to really cover up, I'm going to see my parents, don't want them to see what I've been doing. Do you see how we do it? And we start, before we know it, living different lives, living different stories, And we wonder why we feel so lost, so empty, and we wonder why we have no spiritual power in our lives. We wonder why we have no victory over habitual sin. We wonder why we go defeated. We wonder why we hop from church to church, from job to job, relationship to relationship. It's because we constantly are changing different coats, never understanding the redemptive work that God wants to do in us. And instead, we're looking for a different coat, and God wants to help us this morning. God wants to help you with your issue, with your coats this morning. Notice if you were in verse number 20, the Bible even begins to talk about this issue. You see, Joseph had a calling on his life, didn't he? God, in the beginning chapter 37, was giving Joseph these amazing dreams where Joseph was one day going to lead the people. One day he was going to save the people, and he had these amazing dreams. And it was, in essence, God saying, hey, I've got a calling on your life. And I'm here to tell each and every one of you that God has got a specific calling, a specific purpose, a specific plan for your life, and that is your calling, that is your destiny, that is your purpose. And guess what? Just like Joseph, or Jacob, Joseph, you're going to find out that people are going to criticize your calling. Notice if you would, verse number 20, the Bible says, Come now, let us kill and throw him into one of the pits. Then we will say that it was a fierce animal has devoured him, and we will see what will become of his dreams. They're criticizing his calling. And this morning, some of you, you've stopped serving God simply because of the criticism of somebody else. I said it recently to a a couple we went out to dinner with, and I said, look, if you take it personal, you make it personal. And some of you, anybody says anything, you just take it personal. Any criticism. It just wounds you, it cuts you deep, and you just feel like, man, I'm just a terrible person, and what they said, and it's just over for me. Stop qualifying your critics more than you qualify your compliments. Isn't it amazing how you and I, we can get fixated on one critique? I have the worst problem. My wife constantly has to tell me this, because I'll just get so negative about myself. I mean, I just get down on myself. And she'll have to stop me and just even call me out on it and say, look, it's not right for you to be like that. Not that you need to be all puffed up and inflated or anything. I'm not seeking compliments, but it's easy for us to say, well, this person said this about me. And this person, I heard they think this about me. And I don't know if I can actually make it or accomplish this. And it's, it's amazing how really there can be one out of 10 people that's a critic. And there could be nine people that are complimenting you. But what do we focus on? The one critic. 
And for some of you at your job, in your family, in in a relationship, you're so fixated on the one critic instead of all the other people that are for you and against, that are want want you and, and love you and pray for you and excited about the journey that you're on. And you're just fixated on this one critic. And that one critic is wreaking havoc in your life to the point that you can't even function. To the point where you feel limited and you feel trapped and you feel like you can never grow beyond this situation. Why? Because you had one person criticize your calling. And it stopped you. I'm going to tell you this right now. Some people, you've got this calling and you just are driving forward. And you, you get your occasional critic. But then some of you are the critic. And you just feel like you've got to tell everybody what wrong thing they're doing. Can I tell you something this morning? If that's you, stop telling the person that it can't be done who's doing it. Don't tell the person that, guess what? You're a single parent. You can't raise good kids. Yes, they can. And yes, they will. Don't tell the person who didn't grow up in a Christian home who said, I'm going to give my life to God and I'm going to do it right. And I'm going to follow the Bible and I'm going to do it. Don't tell them they can't because they are and they can because we can do all things through Christ. And so this morning, I need you to understand that you're giving too much influence to your critic. You're giving too much power to your critic. And some of you, your critic is yourself. You have your own inner demons, your own inner critic, and it's just playing, and it's just kind of on a loop, and it's going over and over. Who do you think you are? You don't have enough, and you can't do it, and you're not a good Christian. You're not a good mom, and you're not a good father, and you're a terrible person, and it just plays, and it just plays, and you're giving too much credence to that critic, and it's time to stop that inner dialogue. It's time to say, wait a minute, I'm going to think thoughts that are pure, thoughts that are holy, and right thoughts. Because I'm not going to let a critic deter me from my calling this morning. Because we all have a calling. You don't have to be a pastor on a Sunday morning getting up in a theater and preaching to have a calling. You don't have to be in ministry to have a calling. If you are a mom in here, you have a calling. If you are a father in here, you have a calling. If you are a teenager in high school, you have a calling. If you are dating a person, you have a calling. If you are working a job, you have a calling. If you are an usher in this church, you have a calling. If you are working in the nursery in this church, you have a calling on your life if you are in the business community and you want to bring about change you have a calling on your life so stop looking at your life thinking well i didn't go to bible college and well i didn't grow up in the right home that has nothing to do with the fact you have a calling on your life this morning and we need to start living out of that calling and some of you you're waiting for this magical moment for somebody to tell you you have a calling and i'm here to tell you this morning church everybody eyes on me please everybody you have a calling You were waiting for a moment. You have a calling. 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 People in the balcony, you have a calling. So stop letting the devil tell you you don't have a calling this morning. God has called you. He wants you because we are to be on mission in the community in this city. The Bible says, Luke 19.10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. That was his heartbeat. That was his mission. We are on mission in this world. You are looking at news clips and at TV and you can see the world is declining and we need people that are living out of their calling people that live on mission people that live on purpose that understand that i'm not just here to work this job i am here to bring about difference and i'm here to bring about change because there is a calling on my life you see joseph's brothers they criticize his calling and some of you you're out front and that's why you're getting the criticism anybody who's going to try to do something different you're going to get criticized 
But I need you to understand this morning, that should not stop you. Don't let a critic stop you from fulfilling the calling that God has placed on your life. But not only that, notice if you would in verse number 23, the Bible says, So when Joseph came to his brothers, they stripped him of his robe, the robe of many colors that he wore. The very first thing they did was take his coat. These guys are fixated about this coat. This coat is, must mean the world to these guys. Because as soon as Joseph comes, the first thing they go for is his jacket. I don't know what wrong side of the tracks they grew up on where he, they just had to have his coat. I don't know if it's Gucci. I don't know if it's Armani. I don't know what it is. But they just wanted this coat and they just go after this coat. And I need you to see something here this morning. Joseph lost his coat in the conflict. And I believe there's some people here who have lost a coat in conflict. There are people here who have lost a relationship, lost a job, lost a loved one, maybe even lost a child. Everybody here has lost a coat. Everybody here has gone through some loss. Everybody here has had something near and dear taken from them. Something that they thought, Lord, that is my world. That is everything. And to Joseph, this coat in Scripture is given a lot of credence. It's beautiful. It's ornate. It's custom-made, custom-tailored. This is a one of a kind, and it's taken from him. The coat is not just some fabric or material. Do you understand what this coat represents? It represents his connection to his father. Not only does it represent his connection to his father, that his father says, this is my son. It also represented that he was chosen to lead the family. This coat represented something, and it's taken. And for some of you, that relationship represented your world, and it was taken from you. For some of you, that job represented your world, and it was taken from you. For some of you, that car, it represented the world, and it was taken from you. For some of you, your bank account, it represented the world to you, and it was taken from you. For some of you, that relationship represented the world, and it was taken from you. For some of you, it's physical. You had good health, and that was taken from you. And you walked into church this morning with a limp and with a heavy heart and asking yourself the question, do I have what it takes? Because I've lost my coat. I'm not who I once was. I once used to be whole. I once used to be strong. I once used to have passion and zeal. I once used to believe that God could do anything through me. But now I've lost my coat. It's gone. I've lost that part of me. I'm missing something. I don't feel the same. There's this hole in my heart now. And so now you walk with a burden. You walk with a heaviness. You walk with a brokenness. And I know this morning I'm talking to people who have lost something near and dear to them. I know I'm talking to people who have lost something near and dear to them very recently. And for you, this message hits close to home. Because you've lost a coat. And I'm not going to minimize the fact that coats are still valuable, still precious. Come on, even practically speaking, you can go buy a particular coat and it'll cost you $800 and $1,000 for certain coats. And if you're Kanye, $10,000. I mean, these coats just kind of range with all kinds of prices. And so let's not diminish the value of a coat. This coat right here is the smallest of my coats. And Some of you I know thought I really wear this coat, but no, I don't. My son Austin wears this coat. But this one's valuable to me. Because it's my son's coat. And it reminds me that one day when he's a lot bigger than me, I'm going to pull out this coat. 
I'm going to think of those memories when I used to hold him. This coat's precious because it's got history. It has memories. And for some of you, it's not the money that you lost. It's not the stuff that you lost. It's the memories that you lost. It's the connection that you lost. And you're looking at the coat and you're seeing this gaping hole and you're thinking, I've lost something that I can't replace. And now you're beginning to doubt your calling because you've lost your coat. Do you see the connection? Joseph's world was wrapped up in a coat, church. Joseph's world was all about this coat. Everywhere he went, he wore the coat. And in verse 23, the coat is gone. So who is Joseph now? The coat is gone. So who is he? His world revolved around the coat. His identity was wrapped up in the coat. And now the coat is gone. For you, the coat is gone. So who are you now? And for some of you, that'll turn you to go to an addiction. That'll, that'll turn you to, to, to do something you never thought you would do. Because why? There's a This one. We'll just work with it. Sometimes when you're preaching, you just kind of know the devil's in the sound booth. I just think he is. Not in the people, but he's definitely just in the technology. We love the people. We'll just stick with this one. On a side note, always charge the batteries. Just, just a good principle. Always charge the batteries. Joseph lost his coat. And he's asking himself question who am i you see not only did joseph have a coat taken by his brothers but the coat was also taken by potiphar's wife this guy is constantly having his his coat taken and for some of you you haven't had just one coat taken for some of you you've gotten fired from multiple jobs you've gotten dumped in multiple relationships you've had multiple illnesses You've had multiple times when you just felt like, God, I'm about to give up. God, I'm about to quit here. And you just felt like, God, is it even worth it anymore? And Joseph could have been thinking the exact same thing because here it happened. He's, he's once again, he keeps losing these coats. These coats are, are taken from him. But I love the fact that Joseph, you could take his coat, but you couldn't take the character of who he really was. Who he really was. And I need to remind you of that this morning. You have maybe have lost a coat, but that doesn't change your character. I love the fact that Joseph continued to be the same person. But even this, sometimes we maybe even think, well, well, I lost my coat, so maybe, maybe people won't look at me the same because I've lost my coat. You know what's interesting? Jo- uh, Jacob gave Joseph that coat. It was a valuable coat. It was an expensive coat. Jacob gave it to him. And then Jacob got back that coat, but it was ripped up and it was bloodied. But nowhere in that passage does it say that Jacob's now mad at Joseph over the coat. Matter of fact, let me read it to you. The passage says this. The Bible says, and all his sons and all his daughters rose up to comfort him. But he refused to be comforted and said, no, I shall go down to Sheol to my son mourning. Thus his father wept for him. He didn't weep for the coat. And some of you are fixated on the coat that God won't love me because I lost my coat. I used to be pure and now I'm not. I've lost my coat. God doesn't love me. 
I used to be faithful, but that's not the case anymore. So I've lost my coat. And so now I've got a pass. And so God doesn't love me anymore. Or I used to be uh, not so entrapped and enslaved by this addiction. And now I have this addiction. And now God doesn't love me anymore because I've lost my coat of innocence. And I'm here to tell you this morning, God doesn't care about the coat. He cares about you. And just like Jacob was not bothered that the coat was ruined, he was mourning that his son was gone. And this morning, if you are far from God, your heart is far from God, God is mourning your loss, not the loss of your coat. God wants you back. But I need you to see something equally powerful. You see, the coat represented something. It represented that Joseph was chosen. It represented that Joseph had connection. But the coat does not represent his calling. The coat does not represent his calling. And for some of you, you're about to walk out on your your Christian faith. You're about to walk out on church. You're about to walk out on a relationship, walk out on a job, walk out on a situation. Because you've lost a coat and you think the calling was on the coat. But the calling is not on your coat. It's on the character. It's on you. And this morning, I need to encourage many of you. Because so many people are so quick to walk away from something because they feel like, well, I've lost this, so that changes who I am. And God wants to tell you that, guess what? It's not about the coat. It's about you and your heart. And will you live for God? But so many times, I mean, so many Christians, they lose something and they're so quick to walk away from God. They're so quick once something bad has happened to say, oh, I'm done with church. My kids didn't turn out how I wanted to. And so now I can't face my church because I was the one that said, oh, I'm going to do it just like this and I'm going to be the perfect parent and they didn't turn out and really you were using your kids to cover your own insecurities that you you knew that hey I'm not that great of a person but if I just have good kids that'll make me look like a better person and so now you fixated on that and when it didn't work out that coat's gone so you felt like you had to leave the church or you lost a job to no fault of your own and you feel like you can't face those people you're you're less of a man or less of a woman now because you lost a coat and so you're quick to leave God you're quick to say oh that church said something about me or did something to me and so now I'm going to walk out and I'm going to leave and I'm going to stop and I'm going to stop following God or I was wounded and I was hurt and and God didn't do me right and so that relationship fell apart and so I'm going to walk out now because I lost a coat but the calling of God on your life is not on your coat it's on you friend it's on you and God wants to use you so don't let anything get between you and God don't let anything come between you and your calling don't let a coat get between you and your calling but too many times we do you see, the code has nothing to do about even your capacity. Some of you think, well, well, I could have done so much more for God if I would have had my coat. Like, like God would have been so much more pleased by, by me wearing this coat. And some of you, you think that. You think, God, if, you just, if I just had this house, then you would just love me better. And God, if I just married that spouse, you would just favor me more. And God, if I just had that kind of a church building to worship in, you would just love me more. And I'm here to tell you, that has nothing to do with your calling. It has nothing to do with how much God loves you. God loves you based on who you are, not on what you wear and what you pretend to be. And this morning, what we need is a revival in the church of Christians who strip off their coats, their coats of hypocrisy, the coats that they think they're so good and so righteous, and once again, get back to the point where it's nothing of us, it's all of God, it's all of Jesus, he's the only one who can change me, he's the only one who can cleanse me, he's the only one who can make me a better person. I can do nothing but what God can do through me. And so too often we get wrapped up and get emotionally tied up in this fact that I need this coat. And I'm here to set you free from that this morning. I want to get your mind away from it. 
that it's not about your coat. The brothers thought it's all about the coat and had nothing to do with the coat. And Joseph learns that the coat doesn't have anything to do with it. But some of you, you just can't get over your coat. You're like, I've just lost my coat. And you're letting your past keep you from your task. You're letting your past keep you from your task. You've got a calling on your life, mom. And you're going to let a past mistake rob you of a present opportunity. Hey, you've got a calling on your life, teenager. And yeah, you may have gone to a party and may have made a stupid mistake. But guess what? You go back to your high school and you be that young Christian, that young Christian leader that you need to be. You go back to that college campus. Yeah, you may have messed up and done something dumb and you're not proud of. But you go back and you do what you know is right. Hey, you may have done something stupid at a corporate party. But you go back to that job and say, hey, look, I'm going to do what's right. I love it when we come to church and we worship and I love that we meet in the middle of the marketplace. And I love, I know sometimes it's old-fashioned to carry a Bible, but I love it when I see a Bible. And I love it when I see people walking through the mall with a Bible in hand. You say, why do you love it when people walk through a mall with a Bible in hand? Because it shows the world that guess what? We're not perfect. We don't have it all together. I don't mean to act like I'm better than you or I feel like I'm better than you. But I'm just here to say that I will still worship God even though I'm still broken. I'm just clay. I'm just dirt. But I will still do right. I will still serve God. I will still love God. I will still love my spouse. I will still raise my children in the right way. I will still do right. Why? Because I'm going to be a Christian and that's why I have my Bible. I need help. I'm not perfect, but I'm going to still do what's right, even though I may have lost a coat or two along the way. And we stand up and we say, I'm going to do what's right. Touch your neighbor and say, it's not about your coat. It's not about your coat. It's not about your coat. Help them to realize it's not about their coat. Because your coat doesn't count. It's what's on the inside that counts. And some of you feel that if you have the right coat, you will be suitable for your calling. And can I tell you this morning, if you're looking for a pastor that's got it all together and knows all the theological terms and knows how to wear the right suits and knows how to make the right hospital visits and knows exactly what to say and when to say it, guess what? I'm not that person. I don't have all the right coats. But God in his grace and his mercy looked down and said, there's a guy that just wants to see something different happen in a city in an area and God looks down and says I can use that I can work with that and God's looking at you and saying you don't have to be a perfect mom and dad you don't have to be a perfect college student you don't have to be perfect in your job but if you will simply say these hands God are your hands these feet God are your feet God this mind is your mind this heart is your heart and I will live with reckless abandonment to fulfill your calling on my life that's what we need to live for church that's what we need to live for but instead we get wrapped up in the coats and your coat doesn't count because the calling is not on your coat. The calling is on you. You need to touch your neighbor and tell him there's more to me than what you see. There's more to me than what you see. You may see a coat. You may see something that you think is impressive. You may see a degree. You may see that I drove up in a nice vehicle. You may say, see that I drove up in a hoopty. It doesn't matter what the coat is. Because there's more to me than what you see. And I'm going to tell you what, tomorrow morning, you're going to wake up and you're going to feel like, I don't know if I have what it counts. And you need to write down, you need to put it somewhere that when you get up, you're going to look yourself in the mirror, church, and say, there's more to me than what I see.
Because you have a God who is living inside of you. And just like that old song says, he's roaring like a lion. He's inside of me. And he's roaring. He's alive. He's a well inside of you. And you can face whatever you face this week. Because why? There is more to you than what I see. And you need to have that confidence. And that confidence does not come from a coat. We need to look beneath the surface. Being flawed doesn't disqualify you from following Jesus. And some of you are thinking, but my sinful nature, my sinful nature, and I keep tripping up and I keep falling and I can't get over this. I can't get over my addiction and I can't get over my struggle and I can't fight it and I'm tired of fighting and I might as well just quit because I'm tired of being a hypocrite. And the moment you quit, that's when Satan rubs his hands in glee and he says, yes, I got another one. Yes, another one bites the dust. The moment where you feel so much guilt on a Sunday morning over what you did on a Saturday night where you feel like I'm not going to go to church where I can get help, where I can get clean. That's the moment where Satan wins. That's the moment that soon as you quit. Because I need you to understand, sometimes it takes time for your new nature to become your second nature. And some of you are so wrapped up that you have not arrived in your Christian life yet. And I need you to understand, just like anything you do in life, it did not come overnight. You didn't learn how to uh, get that job overnight. It didn't come naturally for you. You had to work at it. The, the, the schoolwork didn't come naturally. You had to work at it. Your Christian life, you have to work at it. You have to develop what God has deposited within you. So it takes time for our new nature to become our second nature. But what's holding you back from fulfilling your calling? What is holding you? What's stopping you? You won't believe this. Some of you may think this is silly and I'm making it up, but I have the worst stage fright you, could, you couldn't believe. The worst stage fright. I mean, me get up on a stage, seriously, folks. The very first time I got up to preach, the very first time, Dougie, it was the most embarrassing thing you've ever seen. I was 13 years old. I got up to preach a message in my Christian chapel. I got up and I was so nervous. I was supposed to start in Genesis chapter number one and preach a message about God's creation. Well, I was so nervous. I just started reading Genesis 1, and I kept going to Genesis chapter number 2, and I kept going to Genesis chapter number 3. Finally, the principal made me sit down because I was already gotten to Genesis chapter number 18. And he was like, uh, he's just reading. He's just reading. And I was like, well, the Word of God is powerful, and that's what we need in this school. We need the Word of God. And uh, he, didn't, he didn't think that was true. And so he made me sit down, and it was embarrassing. I never wanted to get back up. I remember when my parents made me play the trumpet. And I still have my trumpet. And I remember I got up to play the trumpet. And I'm, gonna, I'm just going to admit this. And I'm not ashamed to say this. I was 15 years old. And I got up to play the trumpet in a competition. And I just bawled like a baby. I just couldn't do it. I was standing with my trumpet. And I just, I just bawled and walked out. Why? Because I have so much stage fright. When I get up here every Sunday, I'm amazed that Isaac or somebody still hands me a mic. I'm amazed that they even let me do this. I'm amazed that you show up. You say, well, the theater's not really full. I'm amazed that the people that come actually keep coming back I don't know if this is out of like punishment for you or if this is like you're doing penance or something I don't know or if you know something I don't know where God says if you go listen to Micaiah and preach you get crowns or mansions in heaven I don't know what the deal is but thank you for coming because each and every Sunday I'm thinking God I can't do this God you've got the wrong person to do this to start a church to see something get going and every Sunday it seems like lives are being transformed and every Sunday it seems like new people come and people get excited and people get fired up about the church and people feel like I could 
face, I can face my week one more day. I can keep on going. And, 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 and it just kind of seems like, God, you get me through one more day. And I'm here to tell you this morning, I don't know what your greatest weakness is, but God can take that and use it as a great strength because it's not about your coat. God says, hey, what do you have? If you'll give that to me, I will use it and I will work with it. So this morning, will you stretch out and say, God, just please use me. You see, God wanted Joseph to know the coat was not the symbol of his calling. And you need to know that this morning. The coat is not the symbol of your calling. Some of you feel like, well, if I was just married, then then my life would turn around. I'm telling you, you can do just as much single as you can married. Some of you feel like, well, if I just had a college degree, and I'm here to tell you, you can do just as much for God with a college degree as without it. Some of you think, "Well, well, if I just had this much money, and I'm telling you what, it's not about the money. It's not about all these externals. God turned, Jesus came to this earth, dirt poor, homeless, for three years. He had 12 disciples. One totally abandoned him. The others left him alone in his greatest hour of need. It seemed like Jesus had failed, honestly. If you look at it with, with that lens, that it kind of seems like Jesus, three and a half years, what a waste. But at Acts chapter number two, the one guy, Peter, who always put his foot in his mouth, he gets up there, preaches, and 3,000 people get saved. He liked it so much. In chapter number five, he gets up and he's about to do it again. A bigger crowd assembles, and he gets up and he starts preaching. In the middle of his message, the authorities, they come, they drag him off to prison. They throw Peter in prison. And the Bible says 5,000 people got saved. Can you imagine in the middle of his message, Peter's now in prison thinking, what good was that? I just preached a message, now I'm in jail. Peter didn't know that outside there's an invitation call and they didn't have enough altar workers because so many people kept getting saved. And in the Bible times, you only recorded the counts of the men. It wasn't that they were chauvinist society. It's just that's how it was. So that's the recorded number we have. We believe the number to be much, much more because I'm sure there were some women in that crowd. I'm sure there were some children in that crowd. And so the greatest invitation in history is happening while the preacher is in prison. And for some of you, you feel like, God, you just can't use me. God, I don't know what you're doing. There's a movie that kind of took place, and it was based off the Oakland A's. And Billy Bean was the general manager, and you have to kind of see it. It's called Moneyball. And I like the end because, really, Billy Bean kind of changed the game of baseball. He kind of changed how you thought about baseball. And Billy Bean, they were doing great. They won 22 games straight, and it's just a winning streak, and, they, and they, they lost in the pennant race. And Billy Bean is talking to one of the other assistants who's helping him, and he said, I, I failed. And the guy said, what do you mean you failed? And Billy Bean said, I'm just not going to be able to get over this. And the guy said, let me show you some game tape. And he takes him to go watch the uh, Visalia team, probably a single A uh, baseball farm team. And they're watching them. And there was a guy who was always afraid to go to second base. He never ran to second base, terrified of it. And he swings and he hits in a line drive and he's running to first base and he trips on first base trying to go to second. And then he's trying to make it back to first base before he gets tagged out. And the fans are just kind of uh, uh, hollering and kind of laughing. He's a big guy and he was embarrassed. He put his head down and you could just see the shame in the guy's face. And all of a sudden, the first baseman tells the guy on the ground, you just hit a home run. The ball went 60 feet past the fence. And then he looked at Billy Bean and said, you hit a home run. You didn't even know it. Some of you, you're hitting a home run in your marriage. You just don't know it yet because you're only five years in. Some of you are hitting a home run with your children, but you just don't know it because they're kids. And kids don't always say thank you and you're awesome and write you nice cards. 
Some of you have hit a home run in your job, but your boss just doesn't know how to tell you. Some of you are hitting a home run in this church teaching children, getting in the nursery and greeting, and you just don't know it. You're hitting a home run. And you're hitting it 60 feet farther than the fence. And here you feel like, I lost my coat, and there's, I can't do anything. You see, the privilege that I get is I get to see both sides of your story. Oftentimes, I get to sit down with people, and they'll open up a little bit, and I can't share everybody's story. But sometimes people will tell me what they've been through, and I just step back, and I just think, wow, God's going to use you in an incredible way. And I just want to be there when it happens, because I'm in your corner. And I can't wait to the day you realize that all the long hours, all the nights, you thought, God, is this working? God, are you going to use me? Because one day, you're going to look back and you're like, wow, I see it now, God. Back then, I was in the middle of it. April 17, 2016 was not a very good day. But man, just a year later, wow, look where I'm at, God. Look what you're doing, God. Look what's happening. And we're going to look back and we're going to think, God, thank you for helping me realize it's not about the coat. It's not about all the coats I may have lost along the way. It's about the calling you placed on my life. Hear me this morning and please write this down. God is not limited by what you've lost. He's not limited by what you lost. Come on now. God has done more with nothing. And here you are in your life. You've still got something left. God created something out of nothingness. And you're looking at your life thinking, God, I've, I've screwed it up too much. And God's saying, no. Because God is not limited by what you've lost. You and I are. We lose our keys. We lose our wallet. Heaven's sake, some of you lose your phone and your world's over. And it's amazing. Once we lose something, we just feel like it's all over. It's all done. My life is finished. My daughter got a 90 on a test. And she's so like her mother, she just started crying. I'm like a 90. I don't think I've ever gotten a 90 on a test. Like, that's incredible, you know? Like, her math's already well beyond what mine is, you know? I mean, it's just incredible. And I'm looking back, and I'm just thinking, this is just awesome to see, you know? And there's people that actually cry over that they don't get 100. I'm like, I start crying when I get over a C. I'm like, it's so beautiful. Yeah, B! And I'm just so happy. Because that means best, right? I mean, that's what my parents always said. You got the best. And so, some of you, you just don't realize what God is doing. So you lost your coat. But let me ask you, did you lose your courage too? Did you lose your courage too? The coat is gone. You're a slave. You're in prison. You're Joseph. But have you lost your courage too? We got to deal with this. The coats are gone. All right. We can't just leave us hanging like, yeah, we don't need a coat. Coats are stupid. Let's go and uh, just take off our clothes, okay? Don't do that, really, please. You know, we don't need to have that mental image, you know? And so you're just like, I don't want my coat, you know, just kind of freedom from oppression of coats. That would be nice to kind of end the message there. But that's not where we need to end it. We've got to follow up with the hard stuff. That now you've got to live without a coat. And that's going to take courage. Your coat's gone, but is your courage gone too? That's the hard question. So you've lost somebody you love. Did you lose your courage? 
So a part of your health is gone. Did you lose your courage to keep fighting? So the relationship is gone. Did you lose your courage to still be the man or woman that God has called you to be? So things didn't pan out the way you wanted to at the job. Did you lose your courage to get back and say, I'll find another job? Did you lose your courage? Because I meet too many people. They lose the coat and their courage went with the coat. And they're like, I'm just done. I'm just quitting. You lost the coat. Your life's not over. Let's get our courage back. Joseph as a slave still had courage. And we think being a slave was bad. Then he's thrown into prison. A prison where people are executed at whim. And he had to keep his courage. You see, some of you think that if I'm perfect, that helps me. I need you to understand something. Just like the old adage says, a smooth seas never made a skillful sailor. An easy Christian life never made a strong Christian. And more than ever today, we need strong Christians. But today, we've got pushover Christians. We've got Sunday morning, 45 minutes only Christians. That we barely show up even when the weather is perfect kind of Christians. And yes, I'm talking to the person that's going to catch this on a podcast and didn't want to come to church, you lazy person. (laughs) And we need to once again get back to the point where we say, you know what, I've still got my courage. I may have lost everything else, but I've still got my courage that I'm still going to do right. I'm still going to get back up tomorrow morning. I'm not going to end it tonight and commit suicide and stop. I've got my courage. So I'm going to get back up and I'm going to do something for the glory of God. Amen, church? Because the world needs some people with some courage. It's okay that you lost a coat. But please, please don't lose your courage. Keep up your courage. What does the Bible say? What does the Bible say? Be strong and of a good. Say the word courage. Why would God come to Joseph and say you need courage, you need courage, you need courage? Because he knew, knew that's what he would lack. And you and I, we need courage. We need courage to face the battles, to face the storms. And some of you used to be fired up for God. You used to be excited about God. You couldn't wait to get here. But I need you to understand something. They, Joseph's brothers, they, they, man, they stole his coat. But they didn't stop him. Even Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him, but that still didn't stop him. Because he still had his courage. Because the calling is not on the coat. It's on the character. Do you still have your courage this morning, church? Your coat is gone. But not your calling. And not your courage. So whether coats in your life have been taken. Or you gave them up. I need you to understand something. We don't have time. Revelation chapter number 6. It talks about a new coat that all of us will receive. White coats, dipped in the blood of the lamb, made pure, given to everyone. You see, I lost, I lost these coats. I know you lost a coat. I know. Dougie, can I ask you to start playing, please? But one day, there's coming a day when God says, hey, remember that coat that you lost? Guess what I have for you? A brand new coat. And I love the fact that scripture tells us he dipped it in the blood of the lamb. Because the blood of the lamb is what cleanses all sin. It's what covers everything. It's what covers our shame, our guilt, our sin. It's only by the washing of the shed blood of the lamb that we are anything, church. And God says, I know you may have lost a coat. I know some of you may mourn a coat this morning. 
But God is saying, there's coming a day when you'll get a new coat. Can we stand, church? Can we stand? Can we stand?